When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome in, everybody, to our 2014-2015 NBA Preview Special Edition show of Celtics Beat. I am your host, Larry H. Russell. I'm flying solo once again. Yes, here we go. Time to finally give a thorough preview for the dawning of the 2015 NBA campaign. Really excited. we got a great guest, Ryan McNeil of HoopsAddict.com. Phenomenal website that covers the NBA. Very well-credentialed NBA writer. Specializes covering the Toronto Raptors. Had some good stuff up there when the Celtics were up there in uh, Toronto a few weeks ago. We'll be talking to him about the Celtics, the Raptors, and yes, this 2015 season, which is going to be getting underway this week. But before we get to that, I know I'm not going to waste any time here. Time to announce the winner of our contest for our weight. Review, subscribe to Celtics Beat. Check back throughout the season as we'll have many more of these contests as we go along. But here we go. The winner of a pair of Celtics tickets to any home game for the 2014-2015 NBA season to watch the Boston Celtics is Zambon One Man. Thank you very much, Zambon One Man, for subscribing, rating, and reviewing Celtics Beat on iTunes and Stitcher. You'll be able to attend whichever home game you please for the 2015 Boston Celtics season at the TD Garden. And thank you to all those who participated in this contest. We, we are forever grateful for your listenership. Okay, so we'll be previewing the NBA season with Ryan McNeil of Hoops, Hoops Addict. And I just wrote a column, first in, oh, goodness gracious, since the Stone Age, I'm back. Yes, that's right. My column's up there this morning on clnsradio.com. Already getting a little heat for it. I'm looking forward to defending myself. I guess you could say it's somewhat previewing the Celtics season. You've heard me on this show. I am not an optimist for this season. I just think there's too many moving parts on this team. I think if you told me to pick one prediction for the Celtics team, LHR, what do you, what do you see that's going to happen this year? Just make one sort of random prediction. I'm going to say, well, first thing off the bat, I think there's just going to be chemistry issues on this team. And that's pretty much what I wrote about this column. I think that chemistry issues are inevitable this coming season, and it's going to lead to a tough season. Vegas has this team at over under 26 and a half wins. That's less than what they had last year, and we can't think it could be even worse than what they had last year because they had chemistry. Or not Yeah, they had the chemistry issues, but they were, quote-unquote, tanking the season for the high draft pick. People aren't expecting this team to tank the season for the high draft pick this year. Talent-wise, maybe they have a little more talent on the team, certainly from what we've seen in the preseason with Jared Solinger and Kelly Olenek. They do look like they're going to make a little bit of a step forward this year. I am excited to see that. But I just – I think there's – Plenty of issues that await this team. It's just the roster, 1-12, to 12, I don't get it. I really don't. And I think that's going to be an issue for Brad Stevens, and this is something that can really wear on Brad Stevens this year. Is this really going to what drives Brad Stevens away from coaching this team? I think that, oh, no, this guy committed to a six-year contract. All it takes is a, for a Duke job to open up, a North Carolina job to open up, Indiana job to open up. They'll call Brad Stevens. God knows what happens. If he goes through another tough season, I don't think he could go through a season like he did last year. It's not just the losing. It's playing these veteran players or that really want to play. It's developing these fringe players like these Phil Presses and these Dwight Powells. I don't understand what the point of developing these fringe players are. There's really no purpose. In it. I mean, as I said in my column, what's the best-case scenario of developing a Dwight Powell? He becomes the next Lawrence Funderburk? I think... At that point, you got your young players in Solinger and Olenek. You got a veteran, a good veteran to have around those guys. You need solid veterans on a young team. When there's adversity, 
you can't just have these young guys who've never really dealt with it. They played in college. They played in high school. They never really lost many games in their career up until this point. Got to have good veterans around. I really wouldn't like to see this team ship out Brandon Bass, but that looks like it's going to be the case. This whole season, I just it doesn't look pretty. It really doesn't. There's just there's good talent on this team, but there's not enough elite talent. And the rest, I think, as stated, make one prediction for the Celtics team: chemistry issues, too much congestion at the guard spot, too much congestion at the power forward spot. I don't know how that's possible. They had too much congestion at the power forward spot last year. You'd think that would have been the first thing that would, they would have taken care of was the the clogging up at power forward, but they did, but they didn't. And now they seem to be a little obsessed with Dwight Powell. Am I excited about this Celtic season? I, as always, I'm intrigued. I really am. I really, I wasn't intrigued last year, but I am intrigued at seeing Jared Solinger, who this preseason has been exceptional. I think he's been very active on the offensive boards, especially in this prior game, that shortened game against the Nets. I like to see that continue. Him and Olenek seem to work pretty well offensively. Defensively, that's going to be a huge issue. Sellinger, his defense seems to be still not there. He's still late on those rotations. I remember last year there were a few games. I think he went off for like 31 points and 15 rebounds against Sacramento off the top of my head last year. Great offensive game, but just defensively, trying to guard DeMarcus Cousins just wasn't there. I know it is DeMarcus Cousins, great player in its own right, but I remember just it was just he really wasn't there. But I'm interested to see those players maybe play 30 minutes a game every night. Hopefully stay healthy, especially with Sullinger having injury issues throughout his young career. Really excited to see that. Other than that, the rest of this roster, man, I think there's certainly going to be issues with Rajon Rondo. We'll get to that a little later. I certainly put that in my CLNS Radio staff predictions, which you can also check out on CLNSRadio.com. But I'm I'm concerned, and I'm not concerned about the fe- – well, I still think there's a lot of fans that don't care about the wins and losses with this team. I think that's too bad. I've said many times on these prior shows I'd like to see this team challenge for about 40 wins. I'm just concerned that I think this is going to be a rocky season. I think there's just going to be a lot of issues on this team. I think Danny Ainge just got a little too far ahead of himself, throwing mud against the wall, trying to look at every single – player on this team like they're a poker chip I think that's overdoing it a little bit I know that that was the plan of four or five years ago to get even longer now excuse me I'm getting old seven eight years ago to get Kevin Garnett and Ray Allen here but they didn't really have much on that team back then so it was okay to do it now you have some pieces I'd like to see them build around it a little bit and then the players trade value like Sullinger and Olenek that's only an offspring winning basketball games so I just I'm I think we're going to get sick of the season fairly quickly. Look at the schedule. Um, I should pull it up right now. I know just off the top of my head they play Brooklyn on opening night, but then I believe they go to Texas and they play Dallas and, and Houston for a few games. That's not going to be any good. And then I know they got you know the Cavs in there, Oklahoma City. I know I don't think Durant's going to be around, but they the, Oklahoma City handed it to Boston in Boston without Durant last year. I'm looking at the schedule, and it's got two in, 15 start written all over it. How does this team, a young team, rebound from that? I mean, their November is absolutely brutal. They've got Houston, Dallas, Toronto, Chicago, the Thunder, the Cavs, the Suns, the Grizzlies, the Blazers, the Bulls, the Spurs. Literally, every single team they play with, except for one game against Philadelphia— one game against the Pacers, and the Pacers aren't the worst team. And same thing with Brooklyn. the Brooklyn Nets. They're not the worst team. If I'm not mistaken, the only team from last year that had a sub-500 record that's on the November schedule for the Boston Celtics is the Philadelphia 76ers. So if they don't win this Brooklyn Nets game to open the season, start 1-0, start out in a good, you know, good foot, you could be looking at 0-11? To start the year, I, I and it's only going to just snowball from there. And when you have an 0-11 start or a 1-10 start or a 2-15 start or whatever it's going to be, it's you're not going to hear the Bill Belichick Patriots lines, we're on to the Cincinnati Bengals, we're on to the Cleveland Cavaliers, we're on to the Philadelphia 76ers. There's going to be some serious finger-pointing going around. 
And it's just going to blow up in their face, and it's just, I think, going to go from there. And even as their schedule sort of, quote-unquote, eases up here, as we get to December and you see a few more Orlandos on the schedule and a few more Sacramentos on the schedule and even the Lakers, they come to town. Who knows? We talk about a home game against the Lakers. Is Yeah, they should win that one. But as the schedule eases, I think the damage could already be done. You could already have that fracture locker room. And with young players, that's just not going to work. A veteran team... They can sort of get around that. Young team, I'm not sure. And that's why I'm very concerned Concerned about this season. I think it was just the worst-case scenario with the Celtics. They put this roster together where it's just a tryout, experimental roster, trying out a bunch of guys in all sorts of different places. And then right off the bat, you give them just a brutal schedule. Not, not going to be pretty. So as I mentioned in my CLNS Radio staff prediction piece, over under 26 and a half wins. I got under. I'm looking at it around, oh my goodness, guys, 20, 22. I just think this could be an ugly season. And I think at the end of the year, Brad Stevens, while he did sign that six year contract, while I know Danny Ainge wants him here, while I know Rick Grossbeck wants him here, and the rest of Celtics ownership, I want him here. A good portion of the Celtics fan base wants him here. I think he's going to go, do I really want to do this again? I mean, that was really trying and if Brad Stevens goes as much as this team has some really nice assets with what with the draft picks some good young players and uh, Jared Sollinger and Kelly Olenek and Avery Bradley I think you can throw him in there as well he's still young enough I think that's this whole rebuilding thing if Stevens goes that's just going to be a huge dent in what Danny Ainge wants to do for the future here especially you know so it's going to be very important, I think, for this team to get off to somehow get off to a decent start in November. When I mean a decent start, I'm talking about just maybe winning five games for the month and not just having just a disastrous one and thirteen month or one and twelve or whatever it could, whatever it could be. But for the Celtics, it's just it could be a tough season, in my opinion. We'll get to that a little later with Ryan McNeil, NBA season. We might as well talk about it before we get with Ryan. I like to get sort of my thoughts out there. You can check them, everything out. I mentioned the CLNS Radio staff predictions. They've been up since this past Friday on clnsradio.com. Going to have a little special edition, actually, of Around the NBA in 5 as we get at, towards the end of the show. Now we're really going to discuss topics. I'm going to actually go after some of my beat writers who made their own predictions. There's some interesting things. I'd like to discuss those on Around the NBA in 5. But coming up for this NBA season, what else is I think going to be? I think it's all Cleveland. I really do. I don't think anybody can touch them. I know it's, yeah, it's their first year together. Look what happened with Miami, with LeBron. They started out 9-8. and eight. They ended up having a good season. They made the NBA Finals, but it was a very rocky season for them. I think they made the NBA Finals that year really by default. Celtics team was gassed. Bulls, I think, obviously was, were never really that great because, as I've always mentioned with Thibodeau, I believe he runs teams under the ground and that just they just don't have anything left. So Miami made that Finals in 2011, but they never really looked great doing it. And then things really started to come together the following year. Certainly the offense seemed to flow a lot better as LeBron James took over that team. However, this Cavaliers team, I think, is more, far more talented than, my, than that Miami team was. They're much deeper than that Miami team was. That Miami team was LeBron, Wade, and Bosh together for a first time. Two ball-dominant swingmen in LeBron and Wade who never really got used to playing each other until together with each other. Until that following season when LeBron just said, oh, Dwayne, I'm the best player in the world. We'll run this thing through me rather than you take it, I'll take it, as they did in that 2011 season. I think LeBron is going to, A, learn from that experience, and B, this is a far better fit than that Miami team was, and C, they're far deeper. So you have the point guard in Irving. You have LeBron James, who looks like he's at the complete top of his game. He's never in better physical condition. And then you have Kevin Love, who could grab God knows how many rebounds as he want. The passing and the ball movement on that team, I think, is going to be exceptional. And the depth on that team, they're likely going to get a Roger Clemens-like Ray Allen signing in the middle of the season. So they'll get a fresh Ray Allen. I mean, they had Waiters, Thompson, Verjao if he stays healthy. They actually have not just NBA caliber players on the roster. I mean, 
very effective rotation of players on their roster. That Miami team back in 2011 did not have that. They had LeBron, Wade, and Bosch and 10 guys that were minimum signing free agent free agents. I mean, it was Eddie House. It was Joel Anthony. As we all know, the Celtics just literally handed him away on a silver platter. I believe they had James Jones who came on for them late at the end of the year, Udonis Haslam. It, but the rest of their roster was a complete mess. I think they had Mike Bibby starting for them, Zadronis Elgoskis in his last year. The rest of their roster was not good. This Cleveland roster is stacked. I'm 1 to 10. It's just I do not see a scenario where they lo- where they do not win under 60 games. I think that that this team Outside of an injury to LeBron James, this team could survive an injury to Irving. They could survive an injury to Kevin Love for literally 20, 25 games. And I think they could still cruise to 60 wins. I think even without LeBron, they're still like a 42-ish, 45-win team. Just not even have LeBron on on that roster. That's a very – it's just incredible how I I sort of step back and look at it. You know, for four years after LeBron left, they could have not – run a worse operation, made worse draft choices, and LeBron just goes back there, it changes everything. It speaks to the power of LeBron. He's the most powerful man in sports. I believe I wrote the top 50 most powerful people in sports a few years ago. I gave it to David Stern. Not anymore. LeBron James, wherever he goes, he completely reshapes his league. The league revolves around LeBron wherever he is. I don't see any scenario when they lose. They do not win 60 games this year. They could easily challenge for 70. I don't think they will only because I don't see them really putting the pedal to the metal to do so unless they get off to like some great, incredible like 38-3, and 38-4 start. And LeBron says, hey, let's make history, guys. Let's do something. I don't see, you know, they. I think they might ease back a little bit. Focus on the playoffs. LeBron is obsessed with bringing a championship back to Cleveland to become literally a god if he did that. They haven't won. The city of Cleveland has not won a professional sports championship. I believe it was 1964, the Cleveland Browns, pre-Super Bowl era. So they do want a championship there in Cleveland. And I don't think LeBron really wants to wait. I think he wants to get it in that first year. So it's really all about Cleveland and the NBA. It's certainly all about Cleveland and the East. I don't see any Eastern Conference team to challenge them. I know the Bulls are just really sexy. I don't understand why. Derrick Rose, how is he going to be able to prove that he can stay healthy? I mean, we're talking about a guy now that has missed multiple seasons of play. See, not just, you know, out for the air. Seasons. And if you go back to guys like, say, Anthony Hardaway, once that starts to happen, they never really get it back. And Rose is a guy who just was just so dependent on his athleticism. His game was incredibly dependent on. I mean, he had phenomenal athleticism for for a guard. I don't see even if Rose does is healthy and plays seventy plus games and is good enough to play in the postseason. I don't see how Chicago can be as good as they were in two thousand eleven, which is three years ago now, guys. I, I just don't see that. And as I mentioned earlier, Thibodeau has a terrible tendency to wear teams down in the regular season, playing balls out defense for 82 games. I know it's a very deep team, Chicago, but he always seems to get obsessed with an eight guy, having a good solid eight guy rotation, which is the way to do it, especially as you get closer to the postseason. But you certainly like to play a few more guys in the regular season to keep guys a little more fresh. Thibodeau really doesn't do that. So I don't see how Chicago can challenge Cleveland, certainly as Cleveland has possibly the one, they certainly have the best player on the court. They likely have the second-best player on the court with Kevin Love. And maybe if Derrick Rose doesn't return to that status as he did a few years ago, and I certainly don't think he does, they have the third-best player in Kyrie Irving. So Chicago, I don't. I, they could be a 50-win team. I think they got, you know, say 48, 49 wins written all over them. I think Rose is going to have more injury issues. I don't think Rose is going to return to the stature he did a few years ago. And now I know a lot of people like Washington is sort of like this trendy dark horse. I think that that that's all they are. I mean, if you look at Washington, nice roster. I like their moves. I like the Paul Pierce signing. I like the Chris Humphrey signing. Certainly a lot. They got a lot of value there picking up Humphreys. Here's a guy who had, a, what, an 18 PER for the Celtics last year. Played very efficient minutes for that team. Good signing. Good team. But let's be real. If 
Washington was in the Western Conference, they would be maybe a little bit better than the Phoenix Suns, who didn't even make the playoffs. They'd be in that Memphis Grizzlies category. They were in the West. They'd be just another team out West. We wouldn't be talking about them, just like we never talk about Memphis, just like we never really talk about Phoenix, just like we never really even talk about Dallas, and Dallas is a very good team. People are talking about Washington because they're in the East. They're the second or third best team in the conference. They gave the Pacers a good series last year. But I don't see them winning any more than a game in a series against Cleveland if they played them. They're really not a contender at all. So the East, it's going to be Cleveland just walking right through it. They'll be there in the NBA Finals. They're my pick to win the championship. Their coach is David Blatt. I have no idea who David Blatt is. I know he's from the Israeli League. That's all I know about him. I don't care. Barney the Dinosaur could be their coach. They're my pick to win 65 games. They're my pick to win the NBA championship. Out West, whole different story. San Antonio in their last 15 years, great run. Never made the Western Conference Finals in back-to-back years, except in 2007, 2008, and just in these past two years. They've never really been able to put two stellar years together, as odd as is. They're just there every year. But only twice in these last 15, actually even more, going back 17 years with now with Duncan. Only twice have they done the Western Conference Finals back-to-back seasons. I could see them falling back, losing the first round. I think they are due for a slight step back. I think Duncan, what's it, well, maybe one more year left in him. He might sign maybe another extension. But San Antonio, for all they are, for getting to an NBA Finals, they're just as good for an upset in the first round. They've lost a few. I believe they lost in the first round of 2000 when they didn't have Duncan. I believe they lost in the first round when they had a really good team in 2009. I think they lost to Dallas. And then 2011, they were the best team in the NBA, 1-8. to eight. Memphis went out in the first round. My bold prediction, I put this in the my CLNS Radio NBA preview. I see the Spurs losing in the first round this year. I think the Western Conference comes down to the Thunder and the Clippers. Two teams, in my opinion, that need... One of those teams needs to break through. The Clippers, yes, they're this great feel-good story. I know they got the new owner. I know everybody loves Doc Rivers. I kind of think they need to break through a little bit this year. They've been in the second round of the playoffs the last few years, making that big trade for Chris Paul. Never really done anything in this postseason. I think they at least need to make the Western Conference Finals this year. Win-loss record doesn't matter. doesn't matter if they win 55 games. doesn't matter if they win 65, 68 games. They need an extended run in the postseason, I believe. And I think this is their year. I have them in the NBA Finals this year, losing to Cleveland. I have them beating the Oklahoma City and Thunder in the Western Conference Finals. It's shaping up to be a really good rivalry, by the way. They met in the playoffs last year. Real good series. But I think very interesting. I think it's going to come down in the West to those two teams. And one of those teams... In my opinion, sort of needs it. you got the Clippers. They've been messing around since 2000. Not messing around. They've had these really nice seasons since 2012 after being the Clippers for all those years. But they haven't really done much in the playoffs. And the Thunder, after they broke through in 2012, they had that incredible playoff run. Everybody was ready to proclaim them a dynasty when they got to the NBA Finals against Miami. Took a huge step back trading James Harden. Never really recovered. I believe they lost in the second round of the playoffs for the last few years. Made it to the conference finals last year. Could not push the Spurs to seven after they beat the Spurs in the playoffs a few years ago thanks to a big James Harden three-pointer in that fifth game in San Antonio. I think they got to get something done. I think they need to at least make the NBA finals this year or next. Or yes, I think I can see Kevin Durant taking a step back himself and saying, have I maxed out with his roster? Am I playing under an ownership that's really committed to winning a championship or cutting or shaving along that tax line? Because I know they got good value, quote-unquote, for James Harden, but sometimes in the NBA it's not about depth. This may be the case in football, certainly is the case in hockey, having a good, lot of good solid lines as opposed to one great goal scorer. And certainly the case in baseball, maybe having a good pitchers, but NBA, you got to have that lead guy. And when you trade a James Harden, one of the elite players, certainly offensively, certainly not, definitely not defensively. We know James Harden's not an elite defensive player, but when you trade an elite offensive player, you break up a great three-headed monster. They've taken a big step back. I know they've had nice players sort of replace Harden, sort of replace his production, but they had, they really had something there. And I think Durant mentally, not just really just looking at the roster saying, boy, we could certainly use James Harden, just mentally of 
boy, we had a young 20s. We didn't pay him because the ownership didn't want to pay the tax. Is this? Am I going to be playing on an ownership that's just fully committed of we have to win a championship as much as I, Kevin Durant, have to win a championship? Could he be saying that? I certainly could see him believe that. I know everyone's throwing out Washington. I believe Peter Vesey on this on one of our past Celtics beat shows throughout the Lakers is a possibility. I don't see that. I think the Lakers are a complete mess. Henry Abbott wrote that great call on Kobe Bryant on ESPN.com this past week. Certainly cited Henry myself when I wrote my call on Kobe a few years back. Don't see the Lakers as a possibility. Don't see the Lakers as a threat anytime soon. But Kevin Durant, I think they got to get it done this year. I think they have to have to make it back to the NBA Finals. I think it's between the Clippers and the Thunder. Certainly, the West is very interesting. You have all these good teams. You got Dallas. You got Portland. You got Houston. Those teams, in my opinion, they're they're just dark horses. They're very solid teams. They're fifty plus win teams, but just not on the level of say, oh, San Antonio. They got losing the first round, but they'll still win their fifty five games. San Antonio, Clippers. And Thunder, that's sort of the elite tear in the West. They're on their own tear. And then you got a tear above them all by themselves is Cleveland. And then the tear below those three elite West teams is you got that really just mess out West of real solid teams. That's really much all that matters, I believe, in the NBA. For all of myself and the rest of the CLNSRadio.com Celtic staff predictions, you can check them all up right now on CLNSRadio.com. Definitely give them a check out. But had Ryan McNeil on the line here for a little bit. Not really going to waste much time. Time to get Ryan on the line right now. So here he is, Ryan McNeil of HoopsAddict.com. Ryan is a credential reporter covering the Toronto Raptors and the NBA, and his work can be found on HoopsAddict.com. Real great online magazine that covers the NBA. It's one of my daily morning check-ins when I get my NBA news. Uh, Ryan is also a frequent radio guest himself across America, as places such as Sirius XM Radio, and now CLNS Radio. So, Ryan, welcome to Celtics Beat. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to this uh, basketball chat. Yeah, so I'm going to get this out, you know, right away. Get this sort of. I'm going to get this out here right away. You know, get the Celtics talk over with. I didn't get to this in my opening. I was not very optimistic about the Celtics season. One of the reasons why is I'm just not a fan of Evan Turner. You actually had the opportunity to sit down and have an exclusive interview with Evan Turner. We can, we'll throw that up on our, our website for the recap of this interview ourselves. But I'm not a big Evan Turner fan. In fact, I think the signing is far more detrimental to the team than it could be beneficial to the team. So I'm going to leave it at you. Sell me on Evan Turner for the Celtics. Um, I'm not going to try and sell you on him as a point guard. I think that experiment this month has been a little ill-advised. I get that it's because they need some point guard help with Rajon Rondo currently being injured. But I do think that Marcus Smart is your your top draft pick. I think he has potential um, right out of the gate defensively. Um, the offense will come. Um, but Evan Turner can do a lot of stuff um, on the ball and off the ball and offense that I think will really help the overall flow of Boston's offense. Um, personally, I'm not a huge Jeff Green advocate, and I think that Evan Turner does some of the things that um, Jeff Green does, but does them better. So um, I, I think in the wing position, I'm assuming that Stevens is going to start uh, Avery Bradley and Jeff Green. But I think uh, Evan Turner coming off the bench as a six-man of sorts um, is a much better option than, say, uh, a Marcus Thorne. So I'm going to wrap this up with the Celtics real quick. I was really ranting and waving about them in the opening of the show. Is this is there, in my your opinion, you were, you were at the game in Toronto a few weeks ago, pretty good game, actually. Do you think there's anything there with this Celtics team, or is this just 25 to 30 win fodder? Uh, I, I think because the Atlantic division is so weak, um, being biased, being based out of here in Toronto, I think Toronto is hands uh, easily the, the cream of the, the crop right now for the division. But the Knicks are in transition. The Brooklyn Nets are old. 
Boston has some nice pieces, and Philadelphia is doing their whole tank thing. So with so many divisional games, I, I think Boston should get at least 35 wins this season. Um, Brad Stevens has his feet wet in the NBA now. Um, he was a little cautious last season from what I can tell. He seems a lot more aggressive this year, um, this month, sorry, in his coaching. And defensively, you have some nice cogs there in Avery Bradley, Rondo when he's healthy, Marcus Smart. Um, there are some pieces there where the team can do well. Um, I don't think they'll be playing for a playoff position, but I think if you're a Celtics fan, it'll be a fun season to watch. And there's a bunch of good guys in that locker room. Um, I made a comment to the Celtics PR guy when they were in town that it's a good locker room. They're, they're good guys in that locker room, and they're young, hungry guys. Um, to me, it has kind of a college feel to the locker room where they're younger guys, and there's a lot of camaraderie, some, some good friendships already. And throw in the mix a really good coach and Brad Stevens in, if you're a Boston Celtics fan, it should be a fun season to watch. Yeah, I mean, I'd love to say that this team has 35 win potential, but it'll be. And you mentioned how they had that great locker room and everything. It's going to be interesting to see how good their locker room could possibly be when they go through this ridiculous November schedule they have. They only play one team that had a below sub 500 record from last year. But you're up in Toronto, so let's briefly talk about the Raptors a little bit. Can you make a case for them as the second-best team in the Eastern Conference behind, obviously, Cleveland? Um, I, I think so, and, and I hate to do this, but the reason you make that is that Chicago has a bunch of injury issues. Pau Gasol is not getting any younger. Um, he didn't play a whole—well, he had some injury issues last year in the previous season, so— if he can't play 70-plus games, that negatively impacts the Bulls. But by and large, the big injury issue is Derrick Rose. Um, he hasn't been healthy for over two seasons now. Um, he's looked great in the preseason. Um, he showed flashes in Las Vegas this summer um, and playing for the national team. But Chicago's hopes and aspirations obviously hinge uh, on the health of that roster. So... If Toronto's healthy and Chicago goes through some injury issues, um, it's definitely conceivable that Raptors are the number two seed in the Eastern Conference this season. Yeah, I actually kind of I'm I'm not big on Chicago at all. I discussed it a little earlier as well. Not only do I'm I'm not am I not sold on Derrick Rose. The guys missed multiple seasons, and when you look at guys back in the day like Penny Hardaway and and Grant Hill, they've never, Grant Hill came back and was just really a role player the rest of his career when he finally got healthy. Anthony Hardaway, he never really got to his elite level. Once you start missing multiple seasons, it's really hard to reacquire the skills and the dominance that you once had. So I'm kind of with you. I'm really not sold on the Chicago Bulls team, but I think the rest of the Eastern Conference, I think it's almost just like deck chairs on the Titanic. They're, you know, you get a lot of these nice teams, Toronto, Chicago, Washington, they could all challenge around 50 wins, but that's not going to get it done. We're all ordaining the Cleveland Cavaliers. I think they're the NBA champions this year. How do you think their dynamic unfolds, especially compared to the big three in Miami? And before that, obviously, uh, Pierce Garnett and Ray Allen in Boston when they came together won their first year here. Um, I, I'm right now comparing the Cavaliers to everyone's fantasy uh, favorite fantasy basketball team in that Irving and Love and James will post great numbers, but that doesn't win actual championships. And my thinking behind that is defensively, who on that Cavs roster can you look to to anchor the defense? I, I know James is a good defender, but who do you have defensively that can make everything mesh? And in a playoff series... It's not about offense anymore. It's about getting defensive stops and impeding the other team over a best-of-seven series. And I just don't see the Cavs defensively having the necessary pieces. I also question or I wonder how those three players are going to mesh. And I think it's going to be very similar to what Miami had when Dwayne Wade and Bosh and LeBron came together um, after posting great individual numbers, everyone forgets that Chris Bosh averaged 24.8 points and I think 10.8 rebounds his last season here in Toronto. And he became the third banana. And 
can Kyrie Irving be the third banana? Will, will, will Kevin Love go go from being the only real option on Minnesota to a, a Chris Bosh light role? And even Chris Bosh, who sacrificed things on offense and only was went to when needed, he was a, the anchor for Miami's defense. So Chris Bosh still had a huge contribution. My question is, what can Kevin Love do? defensively or within the offense if he's a third option. Likewise, um, the point guard position is so deep in the NBA, and Kyrie Irving is a heck of a young point guard. But if he's not scoring, can Kyrie Irving prove and show that he can get everyone else their touches? And what will he do on the defensive end? Because with so many elite point guards, they need a huge defensive effort from Kyrie Irving night in and night out. But there really shouldn't be anybody. Now, you're talking in general in terms of them against, say, the Clippers, the Spurs, the Thunder, if they play in the NBA Finals. Do you envision any scenario in which they actually do not come out of the Eastern Conference? Um, yeah, I, I, I do. I, I think if you look back to my Miami, you had their first season together. Um, they got pushed by, was it Chicago or Indiana? They, they beat Chicago in five games that year. They beat... They, they actually cruised the NBA Finals that year. I believe they beat Philly in five, Boston five. That was a series where Rondo um, had the dislocated elbow diving for the loose ball. Gotcha. And then they beat Chicago fairly. I think they, they believe they beat Chicago four straight that year. They lost game one. I think you're thinking of the second year when Maybe they won the championship. It. Boston pushed them to seven. Um, Indiana pushed them to six. Indiana was actually up to one, I believe, in that series. And then Miami stormed back, won the final three. Boston was up 3-2 to two with that sixth game back in Boston. They couldn't close it out. And then, obviously, they kind of rolled in the NBA Finals. But that first year, um, I think you're thinking of – they started out 9-8. and eight. You're right. In this, and yeah. they were uneven. It didn't really look right. And even though they made the Finals that year, I, I kind of thought it was the fault. They, they played – I thought that, you know, once Rondo went down with that injury, they had no chance. And then Chicago, I've always kind of attacked Thibodeau about this. He seems to play, So I mean, in, in Europe and Toronto, so you're a hockey guy. He, he's sort of like the Pat Burns, Mike Keenan type of coach where he'll go balls out in the regular season, and I think that kind of runs guys into the ground. So that's why the, you always see these Bulls teams sort of, you know, fade come playoff time. And so that was sort of what happened in 11. I thought that Bulls team was totally out of gas, and Miami beat them in five. But you're right, Miami that first year, they were uneven and everything, but – I mean, that East was much better back then. You had Boston, you had Chicago, and there were some other decent teams like that were, you know, there. But there's no one near in the Eastern Conference that I think is a caliber of that Celtics 2011 team or even that Bulls team back in 2011. I think that Bulls team won, like, what, like 63 games, something like that. Um, I just, Ryan, I just can't imagine they win under 65 games and lose more than like three games on the road to the NBA finals this year. Yeah. I, I don't have a winning 65 games to Cavs. I just think there will be that learning curve um, to get 65 games. What was the bulls back in, in the nineties with Jordan got 72, 72 and 10. In so I, I'm not and then ready they won to 69 the following year. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not ready to put the Cavs anywhere near that stratosphere. I think 60 games is pretty lofty for the Cavs. But going back to your previous question, can anyone challenge? Um, is there any scenario where you could see the Cavs not going to the finals? And I, the scenario I would see is that Derrick Rose is fully healthy, Gasol is healthy, and the Bulls have a healthy team that's clicking defensively um, and with T- Tom Thibodeau making big adjustments game to game. And you mentioned um, in your last little part there that the Bulls are gassed in the playoffs. The last two seasons, even without Derrick Rose, I, I remember these Bulls being scrappy and feisty and defensively locked in. And they advanced, was it last season or the previous season, in the second round of the playoffs? And to me, the Bulls are always a team that I, I wouldn't want to pl- play in the first round of the playoffs because of Tim Thibodeau, sorry, Tim Thibodeau's uh, defensive focus and his game plans. Um, so wrapping up, I guess, is there a team that I could see conceivably knocking the Cavs out in the Eastern Conference? Yes, and it'd be the Chicago Bulls. Yeah, 
Before I move, I want to ask a question about the Western Conference, obviously. Um, it was interesting to see LeBron kind of created, I believe, this phony adversity by calling the Bulls, quote-unquote, a much better team, and they've been together. Mm-hmm. I think that's obviously just LeBron trying to rally the troops. I don't think he believes that. But looking out West, I think everybody seems to have San Antonio back in the NBA Finals. I actually don't. Um, but I've also never really been a Spurs believer. I thought in 2011 they were never going to recover after losing the first round. Then in 2012, I thought they were never going to recover after they blew a 2 nothing lead Oklahoma City. They came back to the NBA Finals, and I said, oh, they'll never recover from that loss against Miami. And then sure enough, they win the championship the following year. But everybody seems to think that Oklahoma City is sort of the team that could probably dethrone San Antonio. But Durant's obviously going to miss a good portion of the season is this a small setback, or are those crucial? Are those games going to be kind of crucial to them in the sense that that might cost them home court? Um, so quickly, the Spurs. I agree with you. I think this is the season that Father Time finally catches up with Tim Duncan. Um, Tony Parker had injury issues last year. Um, I'm curious if he's fully healthy, but I don't see the Spurs as the favorite to even get to the finals, let alone win it all this season. Uh, I'm going with Oklahoma City, and the reason being is, yes, Kevin Durant is injured, and he'll miss the first month, maybe two of the season. Um, I have a doctor's report that was emailed to me saying that the um, eight-week, six- to eight-week estimate um, is a little light. The, the surgeon says it's usually about 12 weeks for an athlete to get back from that kind of um, surgery and rehab. So even if Durant misses 30 or 35 games, I don't think that will negatively impact Oklahoma City. Um, And the reason for that is um, Ibaka can have a larger role. He can kind of flourish, can take another, another step forward in his growth. Russell Westbrook will see that being the man isn't all it's cut out to be. I think it'll help his... Um, leadership skills and him meshing with Durant a little bit better. You'll see a lot less of the superhero take on the world uh, Westbrook that we've seen in the past. But more importantly, what we've seen in the past, you see from Oklahoma City, is they've had Abaka, Durant, and Westbrook, and the supporting players haven't really stepped up. This is a great opportunity for Perry Jones III, um, for Andre Robertson, and some other young guys to kind of get thrown into the fire. Um, it also opens up an opportunity with Thabo Cephalosha leaving via free agency for Reggie um, Jackson to start with Westbrook. I-, I think that Durant's short-term absence, whether it's 15 games, whether it's 30 games, I think it'll help Oklahoma City during the course of the season. Um and as we saw in the summer, Durant taking a break from the U.S. national team, he seemed like he loves playing basketball. He's a gym rat. He's like a Dirk Nowitzki kind of guy. I have to lock him out of the gym. I, I think Durant getting a chance to mentally and physically relax after a whole lot of basketball the past five or so years could really help him. And I think Oklahoma City's young guys, whether it's a Stephen Adams starting right now with Perkins being out, and hopefully Oklahoma City starting permanently. Um, I, I think whether it's a Steven Adams or an Andre Robertson or a Perry Jones III, I think these young guys getting thrown into the fire right now and having to play starters minutes or even more minutes than they're used to, um, I, I think it's going to help Oklahoma City. And I think come playoff time, um, Oklahoma City will be the team that everyone's a scare, uh, afraid of playing in the playoffs. So I want to ask you two more. I was going to get to your NBA predictions. I want to ask you two more real qu- quick questions. One thing I, you know, I was, I'm going to discuss this in a column coming out in the in the following week is the Nets and the Celtics played a shorter preseason game, 44 minutes as opposed to 48. Give me your thoughts on that. You know, just generally all together as opposed to a, a shorter game. Um, I don't think dropping from 48 minutes to 44 minutes is the issue. Um, I think it's the amount of games. I think I forget who wrote this, so I, I'm stealing someone's an idea, and I feel bad for not giving them credit. But someone wrote that the NBA should start playing on Christmas Day. Yeah, that was and discussed the, a lot back in that lockout season after the success. Oh, was it? Five, it was discussed almost by everybody. Yeah, after they had the five. And, in fact, I'm even going to mention my call myself. That's right, they yeah. Had the, what, they had like five games on Christmas Day starting at – 
um, noon, and they ended at you know they to ten thirty and ended at you know was nearly thirteen hours of basketball. Yeah, um, yeah. Start on Christmas Day and have a sixty six game season. Is that where you're going? That's exactly where I'm going. And um, just because that way there's no, not the same overlap with the NFL, because the reality is right now NFL is king. So if you can start when the NFL's winding down, essentially. Um, that'd be ideal. But also, I like the idea that someone mentioned this summer along those lines where you start Christmas Day, but then your finals are in July. either or August. Because uh, I think some, hey, maybe a little late, but to me, basketball is a summer sport. Growing up, I played basketball all summer. And to me, yes, high school season and college is in the winter. But I like the idea of it starting around Christmas time, maybe doing 66, maybe 72 games, some some less games, spread out the season a little bit more to help with travel and give some teams some more practice time, take uh, give more rest for the players in the season. Um, and I like the idea of it ending in the summertime. And maybe you have your draft in in uh, September or October or free agency. I like the idea of less games as opposed to less minutes in a game. Um, and I also like the idea of shifting um, the the season, I guess you could say, for basketball into starting at Christmas time and wrapping up in uh, early summer. See, I'm actually all with you there, and I'm going to mention this in my column later. I I definitely agree that they should be starting on Christmas Day. That's always been That's been the first day where anybody gives a hoot, the general public at least, not us, you know, the people that, you know, me and you who follow, Let us die daily, who follow on a daily basis. But that's the, the Christmas Day is really the first day the general public gives a hoot about the NBA. So I agree. Starting on Christmas would be great. But I actually have to disagree with you in the, in the sense that they should spread it out. I believe, first off, the playoffs is spread out too much in the sense. I actually like the, the strike season, or excuse me, the lockout season, because there were so many games all, you know, congested in each other. And in terms of travel... In my opinion, nothing for nothing. These guys make millions. I really don't care if they get injured or not. I really don't. You know, I, I know it's cold. See, I, I, I want but, the, the best quality products, and I want these elite athletes who are the cream of the crop being healthy and playing at the optimum level. So I, I have no problem with scheduling in more time for practices. Um, I have no no problem scheduling in um, more time for um uh, rest between games. I, I think playing three to four games a week might be a little bit too much. I have no problem with, with teams playing two, maybe three games. And then you get used to, like, say, a Wednesday night game. Then you're going to have um, a marquee Sunday games. And then maybe you have, like, your uh, your Friday game. So then each network gets a night, and then you kind of schedule things in. I, I just think that cramming too much in too close isn't ideal for the athletes, hence it's not ideal for us as fans and for the product on the court. See, I, I was actually thought that would be an issue during the strike season and that or the lockout season. It did stop you know, start out very sloppy and the games were sloppy, but I thought having all those games together and and the flow was just it was just nonstop, it was bang, bang. I mean the Celtics it seemed like they were playing almost every night. As a fan I love that flow, and call me a diehard. I actually still miss the old days of the NBC triple headers where I actually had games on in the afternoon and not at 1030 at night all spread out. So I you know, I agree with half your premise, and I'm going to discuss that in a later comments. There's a lot of things, a lot of suggestions I'm going to make where pretty much everything is less is more, less games, less time in the games, less fouls being called, less referees. They should go back from three referees to two referees, but... We'll save that for the column, and I want to get you get you out of here. Obviously, this is the easiest way to get you out of here. Give me your NBA Finals prediction right now. Um, I got go Cavs meeting up with Oklahoma City. Um, I think it'll be a, one heck of a, a Finals to watch. Um, and I would have the Thunder, assuming Kevin Durant is fully healthy by then, um, winning in six games. All right. Well, Ryan. Thank you so much for duking it out for us. Uh, we appreciate it. Definitely going to have you back on, hopefully sometime soon. Celtics play the Raptors sometime soon. But Ryan McNeil, HoopsAddict.com. You can follow Ryan on Twitter at, well, his namesake, Ryan McNeil. Ryan, thanks so much for stopping by on Celtics Beat. I had a blast. Thanks for having me. 
All right, there he goes, Ryan McNeil, once again, HoopsAddict.com. Our interview with Ryan is brought to you by the BeatsAndEats.net network, food, comedy, pop culture, and more. That's BeatsAndEats.net. Some real good stuff there. Definitely loved our conversation about the shorter games. Obviously, the Nets and the Celtics played that shorter game, 44 minutes as opposed to 48. I believe it was October 19th was the date. Love that the NBA actually experimented with this, and I'm going to have a column on this coming out in probably, I don't know, a few days, maybe end of the week or so. I think you got to give the NBA a lot of credit. These guys, they are as cutting edge as they've as any of these other major sports leagues by far. Uh, sometimes a little too cutting edge, I think. They're a little obsessed with advertising. It's going to be, I think, a little tough for the diehard NBA fan to be looking at the corporations and their logos that are just about to be on pretty much everything in the coming five to seven years or so. But, hey, I mean, they've gone after flopping. This is stuff that none of these leagues you know, touch. I, I mean, I love it. And I think for the NBA, I'm gonna, I don't really don't want to uh, give away my whole column here, but I mentioned this with Ryan. Less is more. There should be less fouls called. There should be two. They should go back to having two referees as opposed to three. And if you want, you can because you got to deal with the referees union. They're not going to give that up too quick. Throw an alternate in there. Pay them. Throw them by the uh, instant replay box. I think these games now the NBA. They don't go as long as Major League Baseball does. And I think my I've watched, let's see, I think I watched the Red Sox clinch the World Series back last year in 2013. And I believe I watched Game 7 of the Rangers-Cardinals Series. Those are two baseball games I've watched incomplete, I think, in the last eight years. I think it is a completely unwatchable product. You are not going to have me sit in my seat in front of a TV for four hours. That's not me. I can't do it. God forbid, I'm definitely not going to attend an 8 o'clock baseball game on a Sunday night and not get out of there till quarter of one. You can forget about that. NBA, it's, that's not that big of an issue. I mean, you have these games. You know, with the NBA Finals, starts at here 9, 9.15 here on the East Coast. You're not getting out of there till quarter quarter midnight. Regardless, less, I think cut it down even more. I think if you just increase the flow of the game, it should go back back in the day, back in the 80s, and I think even in the early 90s, games were two hours. You had 7 o'clock tips, you're out of there at 9.03, 9.04, We're In this day and age, we all have ADHD. You can't sit in one place. You can't do you know one thing for so long. And i got to give a lot of credit to the NBA actually seeing that this could potentially become an issue. Major League Baseball has been sitting on their hands for years and years and years, as this was becoming a huge issue back going to the really the early 2000s when the Yankees and the Red Sox were meeting a lot, and then you had Moneyball and you had all these guys, you know, these teams putting a premium on walks and and grinding out bats so you can jack up pitchers' pitch counts, and then you have all this influx of these guys like Daisuke Matsuzaka, Nomar Garcia Power with their goofball routines that just literally add an hour to the game of their own. Steve Trashel was another one. And then Tony La Russa using half the bullpen to get two batters out. And Major League Baseball sat in their hands, and they, I think they have an unwatchable product. I can't do it. They've totally lost this generation. They do not have the social media generation with them at all, and they're never going to get that now because it's been years since they've let this issue go by and they're finally actually attempting to address it this winter but the nba is saying hey let's do something about it now they're doing one thing in this column i have coming up i'm going to make a lot of suggestions so you can definitely check that out on clnsradio.com before we get to our special edition of around the nba in five where i you know look at some of my beat writer predictions i really want to discuss the law reform it did not pass it was supposed to pass it was a Basically, to decrease the weight, the weight on these lesser teams getting the number one overall pick, number two overall pick, three, these top picks. That's basically looking at you, Philadelphia 76ers. This is a, an issue I I don't have an opinion on, and one of why is because I'm not one that has opinions developed on what happened yesterday. I know Philadelphia basically tanked the season last year by putting that NBDL roster on the court, trying to get the highest picks possible. They're pretty much doing the same thing this year. So everyone's saying, okay, well, you can't have these teams do this, so you have to have a, a less weighted system. And there are some that even suggest that what one ping pong ball for every team that misses the playoffs. Now, you do that, 
you're not getting rid of tanking. You want to know why? Because you're going to have teams now tanking out of the seventh and eighth spot and then just saying, hey, rather than being a seven or an eight seed, it's far more value to have a ping pong ball at the chance of what Thon Maker's the big guy coming out in 2017 or, wh- or whatever, the next LeBron, the next Patrick Ewing, the next Duncan. You're going to have teams now that will tank their way out of the postseason. I think that's far worse than having these, you know, Philadelphia's trot out these expansion teams. And yes, am I irritated as a fan that Philadelphia does what they do? Am I irritated as a fan that we have these knuckleheads here in Boston that actually root for the team to lose that way because they think that that's the only way this team is going to improve? Yes. And do I hope it's addressed in some way? Yeah, but I mean, look at these possible scenarios. What can they do? You decrease the weight, then I think you're going to have even more teams tanking in, in a sense or not tanking, but you'll have more teams, I think, inclined to, you know, try to get this draft pick as opposed to, you know, every year you got two, three, four, five at worst, just stink bomb teams. So what the NBA does from there, I don't know. It's certainly an issue, but believe it or not, I don't have an opinion on it because I can't, I don't have enough facts. And I, I have the facts, but I think there's just pros and cons to every situation, and I can't appropriately weigh them myself to form, you know, a, an educated opinion. So <laughs> there you have it. I've, I'm stumped, but I'm not going to be stumped here. It's time to go around the NBA in five special edition NBA preview. Right off the bat, Rich Conti and Corey Prescott have the Bulls winning the championship. We've discussed this, I think, ad nauseum on the show so far. I don't. And not only that, I think the Bulls are here to disappoint everybody. Once again, I think that Tom Thibodeau just runs these teams into the ground. Derek Rose got to prove it at me. I hear all these stories. He's looking great. He's playing well in the preseason and whatnot. He still missed multiple seasons. He still has injuries in his legs. And he's a guy who relies on his athleticism. And then when you take Rose out of the equation, what do they have? They have a lot of nice pieces, decent veteran team. I think Rose healthy at best, they're around 53, 54 wins. That really doesn't get it done. Well, I mean, obviously the regular season matters, but when you consider that Tom Thibodeau, you know, his name's an absolute tongue twister. When you consider that Thibodeau plays the regular season like it's Game 7 of the NBA Finals every night, that's a good barometer or not to actually look at Chicago. If they end up winning 53, 54 games, that's nothing special. They're definitely not on Cleveland's level, and they're not on the level of the teams out west. They're, I think two or three notches below Cleveland and at least two notches below, you know, say the Spurs, Thunder, the Clippers. And I think, you know, I think they're at best case scenario, they're about as good as the Rockets and the Blazers. And I think as worst case scenarios, they're what they've been the last few years. 45-win team, as Ryan called them, a little scrappy team, tough out in the playoffs, but nothing special. Going to go back to Prescott and Conti as well, giving the New Orleans Pelicans some love. I know Rich is a huge fan of Anthony Davis. I am too. Rich actually has Anthony Davis winning the MVP. Both of them have him in the playoffs. Not so. That's sort of interesting. I know Monty Williams is a sexy young coach, but they've always been now the team du jour the last two, two years. I think they were my team du jour last year. They kind of let me down. I know the Western Conference is tough, but they were never really in, in it to begin with. Anthony Davis, great player, but to see the next star on the move, very possible. Danny Ainge better start lining up those draft picks. I certainly would love to see him here in Celtic Green. In fact, if you name three athletes and that I'd like to see here in Boston, Anthony Davis would be outside of LeBron James. Uh, Anthony Davis, I believe Comcast had a segment. Anthony Davis would be in that, yes, Clayton Kershaw, J.J. Watt type of category, Steven Stamkos. He's the guy. Put him on the Celtics. This team goes from 25 wins to like 50, I think. And then you just sort of go from there. You give him one more guy. I think you're a championship team. Can't imagine Anthony Davis winning less than three championships in his career, whether it's with the Pelicans. It's a different story or not. Eddie Santiago, New Brooklyn Nets winning 50 games. Wow, I don't like that one at all. Brooklyn is falling apart at the seams. Kevin Garnett's got Willie Mays' 1973 World Series written all over him. I know he's a proud guy, but he's not going to play any more than 50 games. And when he does, he might give you some decent defense, but that's about it. Brooke Lopez, big injury rate to happen. They were a better team without Lopez last year anyways. Darren Williams has been declining ever since he came to Brooklyn. Really don't see that at all. And lastly, this is the big one. Jess Thomas, I hate to do this to you. You got the Cavaliers down for 40 wins. That's one that really stuck out to me. They're going to have 40 wins possibly by the All-Star break. What was the, the Chicago Bulls in 96 were 40-4? and four. I mentioned earlier on the show that unless the Cavs start out like, say, ridiculous 38 and 3, you know, 40 and 4, like the Bulls were, 
they're not really going to go for that 72-10 and 10 or 70-win plateau. But, I mean, 40 wins unless you get an injury to LeBron and then maybe another guy as well, severe injury where they miss virtually the whole season. I don't see how that's feasible because not only do they not have you know LeBron, Irving, and, and, and Love, the depth of the team is, I think, is just phenomenal. I mentioned earlier, all the players, I didn't even mention Sean Marion earlier in the show. you got to throw him in there. They got a great team. I got the Cavs down for 65, maybe even 67, but I'm going to go closer to 65 because I think they keep that off, that little pedal of the metal off. But there it is. That's going to do it for that little special edition NBA preview show up around the NBA in five. You can go check out our CLNS Radio staff predictions on CLNSRadio.com. That's where those came from. They were all bold predictions by my guys, and they certainly were bold predictions. But that's going to do it for this week's edition of Celtics Beat. Music for Celtics Beat was provided by Chuck Dietz, Ostrovex, and Steph Magato. Be sure to follow us on social media. Our Twitter handle is Celtics underscore Beat. And you can like Celtics Beat on CLNS Radio on Facebook to keep up with the show. Huge shout-out to our guest, Ryan McNeil, toughing it out, giving us a Willis Reed performance coming on to the show and with, uh, with a pretty big, big illness. So, Ryan, thank you so much for stopping by. Check out his website, hoopsaddict.com. For our staff writer, Eddie Santiago, executive producer, which is myself, host and co-host, Larry H. Russell. See you next Saturday. Special guest, Mark D'Amico from Celtics.com for yet another edition of Celtics Beat, heard exclusively on CLNS Radio. 